Would you pray with me? All our lives you have been faithful. All our lives. You've been so good, so good to us, Lord. Even in the darkest nights, even when things are at their worst, when we look back, we see that you were with us, that you carried us through. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you today for your presence, for your grace, for your love, for your forgiveness, for the life that is promised in Jesus Christ. So today, Lord, may you pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is our last week in the It Is Well With My Soul series on community. And as we end, I want to take a step back and remind ourselves of why commitment to communal life is so crucial to discipleship. Mary Schmick wrote in the Chicago Tribune about a speech she would like to have given to a graduating class. It begins this way, ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. And so I thought I'd begin by stating that I, too, have said many things that are not scientifically based during this series. But like sunscreen, there is scientific evidence for our need for authentic community and connection. UCLA professor of psychology Matthew Lieberman, in his book Social Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect, writes, A growing body of research shows that the need to connect socially with others is as basic as our need for food and water and shelter. Being socially connected is our brain's lifelong passion. As basic as food and water and shelter. If this is true, why do we struggle so much with committing to community? Amy and I have been hosting weekly groups at St. Andrews since 2014, and during that time I've witnessed again and again how difficult it is initially for folks to commit to weekly community. Many give up before they ever experience the benefits to which Lieberman refers. Why? Well, here's the answer I gave in the first sermon of the series. Because we are immersed in a story, the world story, that emphasizes the value of individualism, a lifestyle of rugged self-reliance and self-centeredness, a story that is all about competition and winning. These values, of course, are in direct conflict with acknowledging our need for one another. And so it makes it hard, right? We're also overly busy and committed, and we have no margin in our life. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we struggle with it, and yet we need it so much. And when we discover it, when we commit, I see over and over people begin to make the changes necessary to be there. The second week of the series, I asked this question, what would our lives look like if there was only the world's story, if God's story didn't exist? The story that we just heard Emma singing about, right? The goodness of God in our lives. This week, I had a conversation with a friend who doesn't believe in God, and we were talking about the experience of death. 
For my friend, God's story doesn't exist. And she admits to struggling greatly with hopelessness. Where does she find hope for this life? Hope for her children? Hope for the world? Hope surrounding what happens when we die? If God's story didn't exist, wouldn't you feel hopeless too? For Christians, it is our faith that sets us apart from my agnostic friend. That is the source of hope in a hopeless world. Hebrews states, and we heard Sarah read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest, that's also Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, Remember, sincere means maskless, right, authentic, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The gospel, and that's what this is describing, the gospel is the engine that drives God's story and it's the source of hope in a fallen world. The reason is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has opened a new and living way that assuages the two main sources of our hopelessness, our individual brokenness, and the brokenness of the world writ large around us. The gospel provides assurance that individually we can draw near to God and by grace find forgiveness and healing again and again. And there's really two pieces of this. And when we do this in community, it doesn't mean you have to put all your dirty laundry out in the group. That's not the point. It's that together, like we are this morning when Sarah led us in a moment of confession, right? It's an opportunity to be reminded not only that God forgives us, but the other half of that is that in this world that lifts up perfectionism again and again, and we feel that pressure, when we can acknowledge our brokenness, our imperfection, our sin, it reminds us that we aren't perfect and that we can't be perfect, and that's good too. So there's the side of confessing that helps us acknowledge that we can't be perfect and that's something to live with, our brokenness, and that there's actually life in there, right? Perfection is actually bondage, but then also for God to forgive and to know that God forgives us. And so on the individual level, the gospel does that for us and we find hope. And then it reminds us that God's story is the story. That even when the world is at its darkest, like when an innocent person like Jesus is brutally beaten and killed, God has a plan that darkness and death are not final. That soon the light will dawn and new life, resurrection life, wins the day. That even our greatest enemy, death itself, no longer has a hold over us. And when I was standing there visiting with my friend, um, who I've had many conversations with about faith, but in that moment, that's what I was thinking, you know, The reason I have hope when I think about Dick Anderson's death recently, we just had his funeral this past Wednesday, and I was thinking about that. I was preparing for that when I spoke with her. The reason that I have hope when I look into that grave is because death itself has been conquered by Jesus, and I know that, and I don't have to be afraid. That is hope. 
That's the difference between the world story and God's story. So while all the communal connection around, you know, this UCL, UCLA professor saying communal, communal connection in general is really good for us, I think a community that embodies the gospel to one another, a community that regularly reminds each other of God's story, brings hope on a whole new level. Therefore, in light of this, Hebrews encourages us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope I'm talking about, right, that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. How do we hold unswervingly to the hope we profess? By reminding one another that even in the darkest season of life, God is faithful. When we gather in community week in and week out, when we share with each other, when we remind each other of all there is to be grateful for in life, like we're doing this morning in worship, all of those things, it reminds us of the goodness of the hope in the world. Even in the darkest season of life, God is faithful. And then by not giving up meeting together, so that we can spur one another on to a meaningful life filled with love and with good deeds. And that's the reason Christian community is fundamental to our lives. Scripture says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? When we gather in the Spirit of God, you know, Scripture says when two or three are gathered in His name, then He is present. When we gather together and the Spirit is present, things are happening within us and between us and among us that really happen nowhere else. Whether it's here as we gather in worship or whether it's when we gather in small group to pray and study and share in fellowship. So how do we make the changes we need to prioritize the community? Well, as I've been saying throughout the series, simply trying isn't enough. Training is required Why? Because getting in spiritual shape takes time and effort. And we don't have time. We don't have margins. We really don't want sometimes to put forth extra effort for anything because we're so busy. So it's much easier to stop than to keep going. Yet when you make the difficult decisions necessary to properly prioritize your commitment to communal life, over time, just as you're training in anything, as you get in spiritual shape, you reap the benefits. And like with physical exercise, it's at that point that you are motivated to rearrange things to create margin in your life to make it a regular part of your life. It takes, but the thing is, you have to try it long enough. For those of you who have tried home groups, I've been saying you got to try it for six weeks or longer. Like you have to create a rhythm that allows you to grow spiritually long enough for you to be able to experience the benefit. That's what begins to motivate you to make the harder changes later to keep coming. And so I've had the privilege of witnessing the impact of communal discipleship upon those who commit to it. The fruit often shows up at the least expected moment. Like when the world story suddenly pulls the rug out from under us. Leaving us feeling hopeless And hope is regained as we remind one another of God's story and that even when it looks like all is lost, God is still in charge. He has a plan. Or when life overwhelms or misfortune takes us by surprise 
And we are reminded that God's presence is with us. And he promises to walk through even the bleakest darkness with us. It's in these moments that our faith is tested and our spiritual training, or lack thereof, is exposed. Are we spiritually fit enough to find faith in the midst of failure and pain? Will we turn to God? Will we allow our communities to surround us with prayers and walk alongside of us in genuine love and concern? And so as we bring this series to a close, let me ask, can we admit to ourselves that being immersed in the world story leads to hopelessness? And and that we need regularly to be reminded of God's story. Remember, we have to live in the world story. I'm not saying not to live in the world story. It is the water in which we swim. It is the culture we live in, all of that. But as we go out into the culture, either we're saturated in that culture, and that culture influences us, changes us, changes how we see the world, or we bring God's story with us into the world story. Every day, we're reminded of God's faithfulness, of the source of hope in life, even as we are swimming in the waters of the world's story. And so we have to be regularly reminded about God's story, and the best way to do that is in community together. That because of Jesus, we are fully known and fully loved. We need to remember that. We're fully known and fully fully loved by the one who created us. And because of this, our lives have ultimate meaning. And if we do acknowledge that we need, do we have the communal support we need to be able to live into God's story, even as we exist in the world's story? We need people around us that we trust, that will check in on us, that will encourage us, that will pray for us, that actually know what's going going on in our life enough so that when things are not going well, they're checking They're helping, bringing meals, praying, giving rides, whatever it is that's needed so that we are reminded in that darkness, in that tragedy, that God is with us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing when community is working well. For just as the call to wear sunscreen is the most scientifically proven advice Mary Schmick can give to young graduates, I join with Matthew Lieberman in saying being socially connected... And particularly, I'm saying, connected as Christian community, is our brain's lifelong passion. We need it. We long for it. As basic as our need for food and water and shelter. This is where an it is well with my soul life begins. The question is, are we willing to engage in the spiritual training necessary to actually experience the abundant life promised us? If you haven't started training yet, the first step is intentionally engaging our community. Today, choose to stay, share a meal, get to know a new person, begin conversation, find connection today at Rutgers Street Grill or helping with the hanging of the greens as we decorate the church. It's in these small ways that relationships begin and then we can take the next step after that. For we were created by God for community as the body of Christ. And it is there that we will find the life that we long for. Therefore, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.